I was going to open with a song today, but I got a little intimidated after Brother David sang. Uh, you remember that a few weeks ago when David Hahn sang a little bit? I'm like, I don't know. But there was a song I used to sing, uh, and I'm not going to sing it for you. But the, the lyric was about this villager, and he's kind of in the village in Jesus' day, and all of a sudden this guy goes running by him. He's like, dude, you know, what's the hurry? And the song says, well, he, the guy running by, was trying to catch the crippled man. He says, did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And he says, and the mute man, the mute man, was telling myself and the deaf girl that he's leaving to answer God's call. Now, it's hard to believe But if you don't trust me, ask the blind man. He saw it all. (laughs) It's a really cute and clever lyric, but a good reminder for us today of something profound. That this blind man that we are going to study saw it all. That's the inspiration for the title of today's message. If you have God's word, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10 and uh, verse 46. And let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I I should have given you a little more warning there, but (laughs) if you didn't know we were in Mark, uh, maybe your first time here today, but we've been in Mark's gospel for a while, so hopefully you were close. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he warned him to keep quiet. But he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man, said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing you may be seated. As I hinted at, uh, around here we like to go through parts of Scripture uh, in order, verse by verse. Expositionally, we're walking through Mark's gospel. In fact, we have been doing so for quite some time. With a little bit of a break uh, in the summer, uh, we've been primarily in Mark's gospel this year. And I think that can be really helpful for us as we take in the context of where does this fit with what we've studied previously. But for whatever reason it might be, maybe you're out of town or something happens or sometimes we just forget, like life goes on. Like I've slept since last Sunday, let alone since January, and I'm not sure I can catch the forest for the trees sometimes. So I I just want to pause before we get to what the blind man saw and just consider the placement of blind Bartimaeus here in the gospel. Because at first glance, this seems a little bit out of place. Uh, Most of Jesus' healings 
took place around Galilee in, in what some commentators call Act 1 of Mark, chapters 1 through 8. There's a lot of healing that takes place. Why this healing here? Uh, and especially after there's been kind of a little bit of a, a time of teaching about discipleship in Act 2, Jesus is predicting his passion, his death, and he's having these conversations about the cost of following him. And then all of a sudden we have this one more healing of a blind man. But what I would argue is that Mark very intentionally is doing something with putting this account right here. It does a few things. First of all, it frames all of what commentators call act two. From blind man to blind man, you have this journey toward Jerusalem. Well, what is that first blind man? It begins in chapter eight and verse 22. So if you flip back just a couple of pages, you'll see the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and he touched him. And remember, this, this healing of that blind man was in stages. Okay, and so from that point on until the end of chapter 10, Mark is doing something that is often done in writing of, of scripture. It's called an inclusio. It includes, it kind of frames everything in the middle of it. And so you have this other healing of a blind man uh, at the end of this section of the gospel. And what's in the middle of it is important. And that is the disciples' lack of sight, their own lack of vision. Not just that they uh, were learning more about who the Messiah was and growing in their understanding of Jesus. Uh, This contrast of the blind people who saw it, they got it, and the disciples who didn't. It was also seen, for example, in the Syrophoenician woman. When she talks about the the bread, you know, like, I'll I'll take the crumbs even, Lord. And then they get back in the boat and the disciples are still talking about bread. They just haven't gotten it. And so there's this contrast between blind people getting it, seeing it, having their sight restored, and the lack of vision of the disciples, or the blurriness, at least, thereof. And then the third thing that this account does is it hinges us toward Act 3. So the first eight chapters are primarily around Galilee and various healings, various teachings of Jesus— And chapter 822 to the end of this chapter is on the way toward Jerusalem and teachings about the cost of discipleship and the disciples' own growth and lack of understanding and growth thereof. This third act is going to be in Jerusalem. And so this this account hinges us geographically closer to Jerusalem. It takes place in Jericho. This is not the Old Testament Jericho that had been leveled. This is uh, the Jericho of the New Testament time that was rebuilt apart from that old ruined city. And Jericho was about 18 miles north of Jerusalem and about 1,000 meters below it. Okay, so whenever you read in the Bible, they went up to Jerusalem. That's literally what they were doing. They were going up to Jerusalem because from every which way you would go, you had to go up. And so maybe in your mind's eye, you can see this transition where Mark brings us to Jericho and the followers are coming. There's this large crowd, this maybe Galilean group of people that are kind of following Jesus wherever he goes. And here they are at the bottom looking up towards Jerusalem and the climb that they have to make. And we read in chapter 10, verse 32 last week, Jesus was out in front. He was leading the way and he knew where he had to go. But here we are at the very bottom. And there it is. That's what's next. So this kind of hinges us towards that geographically. And they're about to pick up one more follower. 
one more follower. And this follower is the one who cries out, have mercy on me, son of David, which also transitions us as a foreshadowing into the triumphal entry where the the crowd will shout Hosanna to what? The son of David. And so all of this is very intentional in Mark's gospel. You see that foreshadowing cry of blind Bartimaeus, that's the first thing this blind man saw. He saw Jesus's true identity. Look at verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That phrase, son of David, is this blind man recognizing that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, in Mark's gospel, previously, only Peter had made this messianic confession. He said, you are the Christ. That Christos in Greek, that that word Christ means Messiah. It means the anointed one. Peter had an understanding of kind of who Jesus was, but not a full understanding, because then later he says, okay, so we're going to go take the Romans, right? And Jesus says, no, you're thinking of man's ideas, not God's ideas. Get behind me, Satan. And, And Jesus kind of continually has been holding back his messianic identity. That's been one of the themes for all of this study so far is that as people maybe are starting to kind of see glimpses of who he is, Jesus says he, he kept the, the, the demon-possessed person quiet from revealing his identity. In Mark chapter 8, verse 30, when Peter has just figured this out, Jesus strictly warned them, don't tell anyone about who I am. But now, notice this blind man is going to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we're hinging, we're turning towards where that messianic secret, as it is called, is going away. As Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, his secrecy about who he is and his keeping down of his identity is no more. He's going to openly declare who he is. In Jerusalem, and that's going to throw down the gauntlet and ultimately lead him to his crucifixion. Now, the question I had is how did this blind man know who Jesus was? How did he come to understand Jesus' true identity? Now, to state the obvious and not to be um, inconsiderate, it's not because he saw something, he had to hear it. And that, of course, is scriptural. If you know what God's word says about faith, in Romans chapter 10, we read, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Charles Spurgeon tells the imaginative story. Okay, this is just his own flourish of imagination, but it's kind of an interesting way of thinking of how did this blind man come to understand? And so follow along with this kind of scenario, if you will. He says, maybe he was on the nearest bank he could find outside of Jericho, sitting and basking in the sunlight. He says, perhaps blind men like to bask in the sunlight because although they can't see it, they can feel it. It penetrates the visual organ. They feel the warmth and the heat of the sun, even if they can't see its light. He says, while he sat there, he could hear passersby talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And as blind men are usually inquisitive, he would ask them to stay, tell him a story, some tale of what Jesus had done. And they would tell him how he had raised the dead, 
how he had healed the leper. And he would say, I wonder if he can give sight to the blind. And then one day it happened. He was sitting out on the bank and the story was told him how Jesus had restored the sight of the man born blind. You remember that in John 9? And somebody tells him this story. Indeed, this was the master story of the world to tell because it had never been known in Israel that a man born blind would have had his eyes opened. And he thinks, maybe this poor man hears the story, he takes it in, he claps his hand and says, then there's hope for me. There's hope for me. Perhaps this Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet, will pass this way. And when he does, I'll cry out to him and I'll beg him to open my eyes too. For if the worst case has been cured of blindness, then he can heal me too. So many days he ruminates on this story. He'd call that passerby again. He'd say, tell me the story again. It's a sweet story to my ears. Tell me about Jesus of Nazareth and how he opened the eyes of the blind man. He hears the story a hundred times over. And always there would be a smile on this poor man's face as he hears the refreshing narrative. It could never be told him too often. It was the story he loved to hear. To him, it was like a cool, refreshing breeze as he was sitting in the heat of that burning sun. Tell it to me. Tell me again. Tell me the story of Jesus again. That sweet story of the man who healed the man born blind. And then as he sat alone, unable to divert his mind to other things, he would always keep his heart fixed on that story. And he'd turn it over. Mike Goodnow, you like to tell me how you like to look at it from a different point of view. He'd hear that story again, and he'd twist that prism, that gem of a story, over and over in his mind, until in his daydreams he could half think that he could see, and sometimes almost imagine that his eyes were going to be open too. And perhaps on one of those occasions, as he was thinking about that story, turning it over in his mind, a text of scripture that he had heard in the synagogue, he had heard it. You hear? He hears this story from Isaiah 35, verse 5. He hears that the Messiah, the son of David, would come to open the eyes of the blind. And having better eyes within his heart than he had without, he came at once to the conclusion that a man that could open the eyes of the blind was none other than the Messiah, the son of David. And from that day on, he became a secret disciple of Jesus. Now, that's a good story. We don't know. We can't know exactly how this man came to know. But what we do know is that he knew Jesus's real identity. And as soon as he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, immediately he cried out because he had faith that this was the Messiah, the son of David. And what does he cry for? Mercy. You see, the blind man saw his need for mercy. Well, this is, of course, in contrast to the context that we've been in of the rich young ruler. You know, this rich young ruler who has everything, who appears by all uh, worldly appearances, even religious appearances to have his act together. He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But this blind man knows it's not what he can do. It's what he needs. He needs the mercy of God. Bartimaeus 
had eyes to see his need of mercy, that he couldn't do it on his own. He said, have mercy on me. It reminded me of the spiritual, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. From time to time, when I'm preaching, I will go to the foyer and people will come out and they'll say, wow, Pastor Jason, thank you for that message. I just wish so-and-so was here to have heard it. I, I just really wish, you know, my friend or my son or my daughter or my coworker, they just really needed to hear that. And I understand the sentiment there. And, and by all means, share the link, right? Get them the message. But my question is, what about you? What about you? Not my brother, not my sister, it's me. We are all like the blind and poor beggar. It's one thing to be blind, but this is, this is a spiritual metaphor for who we all are. We're not just blind, we're poor. It's bad enough to be one or the other, but to be both. This man was in desperate need of Jesus. It's interesting because the message we heard from Brother David points, pointed out that riches can be and often are a barrier to the kingdom of God because you don't realize how needy you are. But Bart, he didn't have that problem. He was unhindered by riches or pride. In fact, Bartimaeus saw no barriers to Jesus. That's what he saw. He saw a clear path to the Messiah. There were no barriers that were going to stand in his way. Look at verse 48. People tried. Uh, People often get in the way don't they? We often get in the way. Look at verse 48. Many warned him to keep quiet. They tried to put a barrier between him and Jesus, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. This was one of those little ones. Again, just this con- the whole context. You see how this ties the bow on this section? This was a little one. Somebody who desperately needed Jesus. And the disciples had been told, don't hinder the little ones from coming to me. And here's the crowd and the disciples and the followers are saying, no, no, you're not important enough for Jesus. Don't waste the Messiah's time. But this guy, he just says, I want him all the more. Nothing is going to stand in my way. And we say, well, that's not me. Nobody wants to be a hindrance to somebody coming to Jesus. If I ask 100 out of 100 church members, do you want to be a hindrance to somebody following Jesus? Of course, the answer would be no, we don't. But I wonder, as I was preparing, are there some ways that we are a barrier to others coming to Christ? How do we live our lives? We, we say we believe this, but are we living our lives in a way that honors the gospel that we proclaim? What about, not so much that we have ideas or thoughts about politics, but maybe the way we say them? Could it be a hindrance? Like, do you think somebody of a different party than you can become a Christian? Do you want people of a different party to become a Christian? Maybe the way we're talking about things and the rhetoric we have on social media or in person or in Bible fellowship or whatever might become a barrier 
An unintentional one, but it's there. What about partiality? Right? This is kind of what's happening with the blind man, right? It's like, okay, the rich young ruler can rush right up to Jesus and nobody's stopping him. But a blind and poor guy wants access to Jesus the Messiah and we're going to say no way. Uh, It's like in James, uh, the, the letter that James writes, he says, you know, if you see somebody come in and you usher the, the rich looking guy up to the, the best seats in the room, but the poor guy, you say, okay, sit at my feet over here. That's partiality. And we're creating this barrier. And, and just want to encourage us. Let's think about that as we, as we welcome people to our congregation. I see lots of new faces again today. It's great to have visitors. Let's make people feel welcome. Like it should be okay for somebody to come in a full suit and tie and somebody to come in jeans and a t-shirt and feel welcomed here. There were not enough amens there. We, ha- we have to get there. We have to be thinking this way where we welcome one another and invite people to have no partiality. But see, Bartimaeus had no problem here. You know, the person in the suit says, Bart, can't you see how important I am? He's like, nope, get out of my way. <laughs> I can't see you. There are no barriers to this guy. He has no pride, no riches, and he wants Jesus alone. He goes right to the Messiah. He had nothing to lose. He knew Jesus could help him because, number next, the blind man saw Jesus as Savior. The blind man saw Jesus as Savior. Do you? Will you lay down your pride? Will you unhinder yourself from the things of this world and cry to Jesus for help? Look what Jesus does. This is amazing. In verse 49, I just love it. It's two words. Jesus stopped. Just a little underline that. Jesus stopped. All this movement in Mark's gospel, there's a point, there's, there's a, an aim that's obviously evident. They're on the road to Jerusalem, and Jesus is out front leading the way, Mark 10, 32. He's got a mission. He came, and he's going to fulfill it. And in the middle of it, he's not too busy to stop. And he asks this man, what do you want me to do for you? It's a question of somebody who wants to serve. And interestingly, I hope you caught this. It's the exact same question he asked James and John. Did you see that? What do you want me to do for you? It's the same question. Jesus wants to serve. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Blind, poor, beggar, what do you want me to do for you? Now, the difference is the answer. This same question provoked two different responses. From James and John, it was, we want glory. (laughs) We want power. Put us at the right and the left. And from the blind man, it provoked faith. He says, I want to see. I want mercy. It's what Jesus can do for you. He doesn't just want a handout. He trusts Jesus to do the impossible. So, If Jesus asks you that question, what would you say? What do you want me to do for you? Would your answer be thinking of Christ like a genie in the bottle? Like, 
okay, um, I'd really like a promotion and I want a new car and I've got this problem relationally. Can you fix, or is it, I need mercy. I need you to save me from my sins and put me in a right relationship with God. What is your greatest need? And do you see it? Do you see Jesus as Savior? That word, uh, as we read of Jesus, it says, go, your faith has saved you. The, the Greek word for salvation, this save, is often a double entendre in the, in the New Testament. It's sozo, and it can mean to heal and to save. So your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. He's, he's gotten to this place where this salvation is a restoration of this person's greatest need. And it's a picture for all of us that we need Christ's healing in our lives. We need his restoration of the image of God and who we are to be. God designed us and created us to worship him and glorify him. And this, this man gets restored, and that's what Christ does for all of us who put our faith in his blood. You see, First Peter makes it very clear in chapter 2 and verse 24. We read, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And here it is. By his wounds, you have been healed. If you don't understand that in your spiritual state, you are no better off than this blind man or the crippled man who ran by or the mute man or the deaf girl if you don't realize that you need restoration and healing of your soul, then Jesus will not save you. You have to be saved from something, your sin, yourself. He bore our sins in his body on the tree for our salvation and our restoration. He is our Savior. And this blind man saw Jesus as Savior and healer. But lastly, he saw Jesus as Lord. Now, this is not explicit in the text. But let me give you three reasons why I believe this blind man had Jesus as his Lord. First of all, he is the only, do you hear it? The only named person of, that receives healing of Christ. There's the Jairus' daughter and this person's mother-in-law, but it's the only named recipient of Christ's healing. So you could literally go and ask the blind man, he saw it all. You could go find old Bart and ask him, tell me about how Jesus healed you. Secondly, the phrase in verse 52 says, go, your faith has saved you. And scripture records that immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road, on the way. And disciples were called disciples. They were part of the way initially, but on the road, where was he going? On the road to Jerusalem. He was headed to follow Jesus to his certain death. But then thirdly, not scripture, but church history records for us that many believe that Bartimaeus was a part of the early church in Jerusalem. That he didn't just follow Jesus to the, on the road to Jerusalem, but he stayed and remained and became a, a, a disciple and a part of the church in Jerusalem. That's what church history records for us. So this man was able to see what we can't see sometimes. So my question for you, with this hinge point, this turning point in Mark's gospel, 
we are giving another glimpse of Jesus, the Son of God. Again, if you weren't here in January, we began this study in Mark 1.1, where Mark tells us this is the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And he's been giving us portraits and glimpses of Jesus as who he is. And this blind man, he saw it all very clearly. He saw Jesus' true identity. My question for you today is, do you see Jesus as the promised Messiah, as the one who came to fulfill the prophecies about him. This blind man saw his own need for mercy. Do you need Christ's mercy? Do you sense your own need for his mercy in your heart? The blind man didn't care what other people thought. There were going to be no barriers in his way to following Jesus. What about you? What's hindering you from following Jesus with your whole heart? Maybe it's you think that the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe it's you think that um, I may not fit in around here or with Christians. They're not my crowd. I don't know what the hindrance might be to you, but let me tell you, this blind man had the gift of not being able to see. He didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care about what he might lose or what people thought of him. He had lived his whole life in that scenario. And my encouragement to you is, let's get to that, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. What about you? Okay, not, not what will the church think? Not what do I think about them? Do you need God's mercy? Respond to his call to you today and be saved, be healed. Because this blind man, lastly, saw Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the question for you, is that the Jesus you see? Do you see him, or are you spiritually blind? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm reminded of the hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a poor, blind, begging wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. Lord, I pray that all across the room here today, you are giving eyes to see by your Holy Spirit, to see who Jesus is, to see his love and compassion, his gentleness, his care, his willingness to stop. And Lord, just today in this room, I pray that there's someone here that is being called by you to salvation. Lord, that, 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 that they're thinking of, what about me? Am I this blind person? Am I spiritually blind? And Lord, in this quiet moment, while we're here this Lord's Day, there's no rush. There's no hurry. You're here, and you're asking, what do you want me to do for you? So, Lord, I pray that there's someone here today that knows their need, is unembarrassed, is unhindered, and answers that question with, I need your mercy, Jesus. 
I need the blood you shed on Calvary for my sins. I need to be saved. Heavenly Father, I pray that we as believers would not be the hindrance that we often are. Lord, would you convict us as your Holy Spirit does of ways that we can continue to tear down the barriers, bring people to Jesus, be like the friends in Mark's gospel that lowered the the man down. Father, we want to bring people to Christ and not hinder them from coming. We want to help the little ones. We want to encourage them. So Lord, give us uh, wisdom. Give us courage. Give us compassion for others. Lord, I thank you for the various ways that your spirit moves as your word is preached. And Father, I pray that people will respond today as you will lead them. In Jesus' name, amen.